Well, thank you all for being here again. It's crazy that we have to meet up this way. You just keep showing up every week, and it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, right? Uh, this, is, this is fun. This is fun for me, and, and uh, not just like weeks like last week where we have a giant bouncy house, right? That, that was always fun and, and crazy. Uh, don't worry. If you missed it, we'll have more bouncy houses in the future. Dale, I know you really wanted to go down the slide, you know, but we did have a couple people that uh, are not as youthful as some of the other people going down the slide, and after they went down, uh, they realized that uh, the years were getting up to them, and they could go down the slide once, but they weren't going back up, so yeah, it's totally cool, uh, but it was, it was so much fun. We had a great time, uh, but before we did that, we had, a, we had a pretty emotional week last week, if if you missed it, we were talking about marriage and, and how the Holy Spirit drives, and I, I wanted to, to apologize if, if any of you experienced uh, an emotional trauma of any kind, if something happened or something was said that caused you really to experience something that was really emotional. I, I wasn't trying to make anybody uh, you know, have an emotional breakdown of any kind, and, and I'm sorry that if that happened to you, but uh, yeah, uh, I, it, it taught me a couple things, though. And, and the first thing it taught me is that you are invested in the messages. I mean, last week especially, you know, when I was looking around, there was only a couple people sleeping, and that's, and that's pretty good numbers for me. <laughs> but it, it was really great. You were, you were invested. You were listening. You were participating. Uh, and that makes, honestly, like, I'm, I am ecstatic uh, that we are on this journey together, and it's not just me up here talking about stuff on my own. Uh, something's going on with the lights. Jim's working on it, so like, don't, don't panic. There's no like, power surges or anything. Something's going on with our lights this morning. Uh, but it taught, the second thing it taught me is that you are interested in learning about how the Holy Spirit would lead us if we let him. And that's really exciting, again, because we are continuing our series called uh, Driven, where we're going to answer questions that y'all have asked about how to let the Holy Spirit guide us in our lives. So I created that, that cool logo, uh, of course. Uh, actually, PowerPoint created that, and I just tweaked it a little bit for our series. But we're going to answer some questions about how do we let the Holy Spirit uh, drive, or how do we let the Holy Spirit lead in certain situations in our lives. And so this concept comes out of a couple of different verses, but our, our, our backbone is from Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 25, which says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So uh, most all the verses that we're going to talk about today are in your bulletin. So if you're looking at the page with the notes, there's, I think, 6,000 verses that we're going to go through today. So it's a nice short message. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. If I get up here and I, and I give you all the wisdom of Brian, that's about 15 seconds. So I have to give you wisdom that comes from Scripture because that is uh, forever. That is eternal. It is never ending, uh, much like this message will be. Uh, so it's like, it's really uh, exciting. Uh, if you ever hear a pastor or a preacher or a teacher who isn't giving you scripture as the backbone of their message, they're not preaching the Bible. They're preaching their own thoughts. And so uh, each and every week, I, I try to limit it to, you know, so that we're not here all day. But I want you to know that the things that we're going to talk about today are not just things that I think about or sitting in my office during the week and saying, hey, I, I ponder these things. I'm going to write them down and then share them with you, but it's actual Scripture. So we are grounded and rooted in Scripture. 
going back to that, that passage that you see up there on the screen, when Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, he's talking, it was a, it was a military term for following orders and being in perfect rhythm with each other, right? And in the army, they do this like the lift, 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 right? And if all the boots hit the ground at the same time and, and they're, in, they're keeping in step with each other. It's the reason why we have drums, right, during the music because it's keeping in step. It's keeping the band together. So that's what Paul is talking about. It's a military term uh, that Paul is using, talking about being in perfect synchronization with the leader. So the desire of Paul and now myself is that we would all be influenced by the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we would match his cadence perfectly. He is keeping time. He is leading. And, uh, and the things that we would say, uh, he is, he's leading us to say that. And the things that he's leading us to do, he's leading us to do that. But it starts with thinking and believing what the Holy Spirit would have us think and believe. Because what you believe is what you will do. Again, what you believe is what you will do. And sometimes we do stuff that we're like, that was, that was, that was kind of outside of, of my parameters, of my belief system. That wasn't really who I was but that's a lie. That's who we were in that moment, right? It's kind of like when, when, right, the, the, when you shake up the soda and then you open it and it bursts out and we go, well, that wasn't really what the soda was meant for. It's like, well, that was what was in the can all along. It just took a little bit of jostling to get that out. And sometimes we do stuff and say stuff and we apologize and we go, hey, that, that wasn't really me. Well, yeah, it was. It was you in that moment. So what we have to ask is, how do we change who we are in those moments? How do we keep from the explosions happening? Because just the other thing, it's like the toothpaste. Once you squeeze the toothpaste out of the, you can't put it back in. Can't take it back. You did it. You said it. So the question is, how do we change what we believe in order to match the cadence, in order to match the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Which leads us to the first question that someone asked, which is, how do I know what God's plan is for me, and am I doing what he has planned? So I just want to give you a little bit of context for my history with this question. I grew up in a very, very conservative Baptist church. Everything was white. There were no other colors. I don't know why it was this. Anyone else grow up in a church like this? I think the pews were brown, but everything else was white. It was like the church on the outside was white. Everything on the inside was white. And I, th I think everyone wore white. I'm not sure. Maybe we drank some special Kool-Aid. I'm not sure exactly how it went, but it was a very conservative uh, Baptist church. And my mom, she, she took us there every week, sometimes kicking and, and screaming. Uh, but it, it happened, and, and we were told that the will of God is a, is a linear line. Right, there's a beginning and there's an end for your life and there's a perfect line there in the middle that if you waver either way to the left or to the right, you are outside of God's perfect will for you. Every step you take, every move you make, every vow you break, every smile you fake, every claim you stake, he's watching you. And if you step out of that perfect linear path, for even one second, you are prone to the devil's attacks 
and will likely fall into sin or become a serial killer. I'm not sure that was what we were taught. Just one small deviation from the plan, and that's it. Your goose is cooked. You're done. God can't use you anymore, and it would be better if you died rather than to keep on going because you took one step out of line, one step out of God's chosen plan for you. And I lived in constant fear of this, constant fear. Uh, as, a, as a young teenager, I, I knew that if I brushed my teeth for too long, I'd be out of God's perfect will, God's perfect timing. He would punish me. If I started walking with my left foot one day instead of my right foot, I was terrified that that would put me some, somehow out of step with God's perfect linear plan for my life. It would end in punishment. If I chose the wrong candy out of the vending machine, punishment. If I chose the wrong shirt to wear, punishment. And the reason uh, that it was such an impossible life to live is because I didn't have guidance for every waking moment for what I should or should not be doing for every second of the, of the day. Can I listen to Metallica and still go to heaven? Can you though? I sure hope so. Uh, how many times should I pray out loud during the day? What is the right balance of milk to cereal? Right, this is the really important stuff that I didn't have answers to. And I felt like I was in constant danger of getting outside of God's perfect will in my life. So instead of choosing to follow Jesus, I chose to be churchy around churchy people right? Uh, I mean, this is like King James stuff, these and thou's and yes, you know, all of the reverent stuff, all of the things. I chose to be churchy around churchy people. Uh, and then when, whenever I was anywhere else during the week, I would do whatever I felt like was best because I, I gave up on trying to follow God's perfect plan for my life because it seemed impossible. So I said, well, uh, what I really don't like is people judging me, and so I'll just do the churchy stuff when churchy people are around, right? So you want me to wear uh, a polo or a button-up shirt on Sunday and, you know, my jeans that don't have oil stains on them, right? I'll do that. I'll do that for you because I'm churchy. And so my attire really matched my life in the sense of where I would put on the clean, nice clothes, but on the inside, I was dirty. On the inside, I was filthy. And I became the very hypocrite that the world accuses us all of being. I would spout off on, on my religiosity to my friends and my peers, and then I would do all the sinning stuff guilt-free. I would quote scripture to them as far as, oh, how dare you drink at that party? And then I would go drink at a party. But it was right for me. It was good for me because I went to church on Sundays and it was okay. But they didn't go to church and so they were sinners going to hell. I was sinning guilt-free in my own mind. And then on Sunday, I would come and do churchy stuff. And whenever someone would call me out on being the hypocrite that I really was, I would tell them that they can't judge me because that's what the Bible says. And all that, all that to get to this point, uh, God's plan for you is not linear. And, it, and it's kind of mind-blowing that, you know, like there's, you know, sometimes we, there, there, there are things that God clearly has orchestrated in your life and has given them as a gift 
to you. And we can look back on those moments and say, God, God really gave me those things. I was there. I experienced it. I know for a fact that it was only by his power, his will, his miraculous power that these things could have happened. And yet at the same time, there's not a perfect plan like between A and B. And as soon as we can stop thinking that way, that God's perfect plan is for us to go from point A to point B with a complete straight line with no deviations in there, if we can stop that lie that, that really that the devil has placed in our heads, then we can begin to see God's will and God's plan for what it is in our life. So looking at that first passage on the screen, so this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Uh, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These are not, again, linear instructions. They are guiding principles in changing the way that we think, believe, and therefore what we will do. God's, uh, God's will, plain and simple, for you is the same as it is for everyone. Some people are like, heresy. No, God's will for you is the same as it is for everyone. You guys taking this, these notes? Uh, here it is. It's pretty simple. Be more like Jesus in order to bring more people to Jesus. Be more like Jesus in order to bring more people to Jesus. It's the same for everybody across the board, right? Are you two years old? Are you 100 years old? Male, female, right? It doesn't matter. It's the same for everyone. Be more like Jesus in order to bring more people to Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the next verse up there says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The better that you know God, the better you know what his likes and dislikes are, and the more you will want to be a part of whatever he is doing. Uh, to use this analogy, right, Catherine and I, my wife and I, we have been together for eight years, and we're coming up on our seventh wedding anniversary. It is possible that someone can stay married to me for seven years, and Catherine is proving that. So she is diligent, uh, and she's faithful. Um, she does change her mind, right, uh, not to be, you know, sexist, but I have noticed in my life that sometimes uh, women have a tendency to change their minds more than men. And I think it's because they're smarter than we are, right? <laughs> Most men have the same hobbies as they did when they were teenagers. I like guns and cars. Okay, now you're 80 years old. What do you like? Guns and cars, right? <laughs> Women, when they were teenagers, they're like, I really like doing my hair with daisies and like doing all these things. And now it's like, well, now I'm kind of in to painting. And, and I think that women grow where a lot of times boys are like, hey, well, it was good enough for me 30 years ago. It's still fun now, so I'll just keep doing that thing. Uh, so Catherine, she does change her mind about a, a lot of things, but she is pretty straightforward with her likes and dislikes. Uh, like, I know for a fact that she hates chocolate, which is a true story. So if you're ever going to get Catherine a gift, 
don't give her chocolate, okay? If you give her chocolate, it will be a sign that you are her enemy. So. <laughs> and it was, it was hard, right? Because as a guy, whenever you make mistakes, you're like, okay, well, I'll get her a box of chocolates and, and some roses. And early on in our relationship, she told me, I don't like roses either. So it's like, all right, what am I supposed to do then, you know? <laughs> Tell her I'm sorry? That's not going to happen. Uh, so... <laughs> can't admit your failures, that there's, it's weird. I know she, uh, she hates chocolate. I also learned pretty early on in our relationship that she likes talking on the phone for hours at a time. It's true. Uh, she likes doing that. Uh, she loves doing laundry, and that's not me being, again, it's not me being sexist in any way. She genuinely enjoys doing laundry. She doesn't like putting it away, but she likes to do it, and she likes to fold it. And I think maybe it's because I'm really bad at folding it, and she knows that. But uh, apparently you're supposed to, like, fold it so, like, the front of your shirt doesn't get any creases on it. I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. It's like, and it fit in the box. So it's like, we're good to go. Uh, so she loves doing laundry. Uh, she's more than willing to do the dishes, but hates putting the dishes away. Again. She, yeah, and she, I just know these things. Uh, she almost never finishes her drink. It does, if it's water, if it's uh, the elixir of life, it doesn't matter what it is, there's always about 20% of it left. And so what you'll see in our house is a, uh, like five or six drinks around the house of mostly uh, drank drinks. Uh, so it doesn't matter, cup, glass, bottle, doesn't matter, 20, she leaves about 20% left. Uh, she loves to shop, she loves to shop for herself and for others. She loves to decorate our house with plants but hates doing yard work outside. Uh, she loves babies, but also sleep, which are not conducive to each other in the slightest. I know what she likes and doesn't like because I've taken the time to get to know her. I've listened to her. Doesn't look like our, our streaming's gonna work today. Uh, but she has, uh, I, I know what she likes and doesn't like, and I know what she would want me to buy or not buy. I know what she would like me to talk about or not talk about. I know what she would like me to do or not do. I know where she would like me to go and not go, and I know how to hurt her, and I know how to bless her, and I choose to bless her, just so we're clear. And I didn't take all the times to learn all these things about my wife because I want something from her, but because simply I love her and I want to bless her. And in the same way, she knows my likes and dislikes. Oops, someone's car alarm was going off, okay. Uh, in the same way, this is how we deduce what the will of God is, is by getting to know him and choosing to bless him. Everyone's checking their keys right now, so. Is this like where we call out like the license plate? Who has a green Nissan Sentra? It's like, Okay, we'll keep going. Okay, Romans, this is uh, Romans 8, 14. Uh, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We choose to be led by the Spirit of God in order to do His will. We choose to be led by the Spirit of God in order to do His will. Uh, we have to spend intentional time with God. We have to spend intentional time with God, listening to Him, talking to Him, reading about what he is like. Do you know God? Do you know God? Do you feel like you can tell him anything and that you choose to do what he asks you to do? 
Psalms, uh, one, uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's will for you in your life is to pursue him and his truth with all diligence and humility and to never back down from pursuing righteousness. Get to know the Lord. Immerse yourself in the word of God. This, uh, the book, is, this is his letter to us to teach us about who he is and what he wants in our life. And, and sometimes we, we get to these crossroads and we say, I don't know, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I think he, he's asking you, well, do you know me? If you were following my direction, which way would I lead you? Did you ask me? This is God asking that question. Did you ask me what you, you'd want me to do? And it's not that all these answers are, are cut and dry or, or easy sometimes, but we need to firmly believe in order to change what we do that God is who he says he is and we need to know who he says he is. Our God is a knowable God, a loving God who wants what is best for you and others. Sometimes his will is extremely clear in our life when we get to know him. And because God's will isn't linear, his plans for you and your life are not linear. I hope and I pray that you never live in fear that you're not doing the will of God unless you are intentionally living in sin, and then you should be concerned. Like if you're married and you're having an affair and you choose to stay in that affair, you should be concerned because you are living outside what the will of God is. You know for a fact that that's not what God wants for you in your life, so stop doing that. Jesus, uh, Jesus showed us this in his life by going from place to place with the end goal in mind. If you drew a map, which I wanted to do this week, I kind of ran out of time, but if you drew a map even of Paul's missionary journeys or, or Jesus and the path that he takes, he goes all over. It's crazy. He goes from this place to the next. And, and if you read the, the, the gospel of Mark, I love it because he keeps saying immediately. That's like Mark's favorite word. And immediately the disciples got up and they left and they went somewhere else. And so Jesus, he's going here and he's going there and he's doing you know, miracles. And he's doing all this stuff. And he knows that in three years time from the beginning that he starts his ministry to the end, he needs to wound up being crucified but all the stuff that he does in between there, he's saying he's following the Lord's leading, but it doesn't look like there's any intentional path. They're going from one place to the next. And sometimes that's how we feel in our life. Like, man, I, I just wish I got to stay in one place. I, I wish I just got to just keep moving this direction. But that's oftentimes not what God's will is for us. God's plan for everyone is for us to live a godly life here on earth and then with him for all eternity. Uh, so Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When I grew up in church, especially, there was this, I don't know, this aura around missionaries like they were the only ones really doing the Lord's work. Has anyone else ever felt that way? Right? Like, oh, it's just the people that go overseas and, and serve. Those are the only people doing the Lord's work. 
And then sometimes it's like people in ministry. Well, it's just the pastor. He's doing the Lord's work, and I'm just doing work. But that passage in, in Colossians, it's, it's great because it's for everyone. He says, whatever you do. He doesn't say, hey, be in full-time ministry or else you're going to hell. He says, whatever you do, whatever job that you do, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord because you are. That is God's will in your life. He's not calling everyone to be a missionary or a pastor or even an elder, but he's calling everyone to pursue Christ and the Holy Spirit to lead you in order to bring more people to Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever you, uh, whatever you have, whatever purpose you have in your life, whatever gifts you have, you are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with your mouth and with your life. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that because we say, well, how do I do that? And you can, it's, sometimes it's as simple as asking people, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. It's not going to sound the same. It's not going to look the same from everybody because there are so many people that don't know Jesus. We need all of us presenting Christ in the way that we know how in order to reach all kinds of people. It's, all, it's also the reason that we have all kinds of churches. We need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Amen? The church that's like across the street, we are excited because they're preaching Christ and people are getting baptized. They're not our competitors. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are excited. When they grow and, they're, and they, they like, oh, we're going to grow, we're going we're gonna to plant this new church. We're not like, oh man, I wish we were doing that. We are excited because more people are coming to Christ. And it looks different than we do it. And they talk differently and they, they focus on different things. But we are excited because we're all accomplishing the will of God, which is to bring more people to Jesus. Work heartily for the Lord, whatever you do. This is the will of God in your life. The second question that I wanted to get to uh, today actually has a lot to do with the first, and uh, it is this. So the question is, uh, you spoke on anxiety a couple of weeks ago and how it isn't uh, a sin. Uh, So uh, what is your view on worry? And how do you decipher between the two of them? So thank you for this question. Uh, So three weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus was anxious the night before he was crucified. I think as as any of us would be, he was so anxious that he sweat blood. I've never been that anxious, thankfully. But he, it wasn't like he was in the garden praying and he was worried that he might be crucified. He knew what was going to happen that night and the next day. And yet he still, he prays to the Father and he accepts that this is his job to do. And even though he was anxious, he does it anyway. So God doesn't want us to be anxious though. We understand that. But it's not a sin issue, it's a peace issue. So this is 1 Peter Five, six, and seven says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Psalm 94, 19, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. God wants to help you not be anxious and not to worry. Our help, joy, consolation, and purpose all come from the Lord. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, when we are anxious, we usually distance ourselves from God. 
man, I, I don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff done. Uh, I, just, I just need to, to work harder and, and, and go faster and do better. Like, oh, oh, don't distract me. I can't take that phone call right now. I have to, I have to do these things. I, I don't know how I'm going to get them all done. And we often, we refuse to take the time to slow down and to pray and ask God uh, what it is that he would have for us or whether or not we're even supposed to be doing this thing. We get so wrapped up in whatever it is that is troubling us that we stop praying, we stop reading our Bibles, we distance ourselves from others, and sometimes we fulfill this self-fulfilling prophecy that no one loves us and that God doesn't talk to us. Because we get so anxious that we stop talking to God and we stop being in relationship with others. So when God says, don't be anxious, he's not saying, you terrible person. He's saying, you don't have to be. You don't have to be anxious. We get so worried and anxious about all this stuff that really doesn't matter. Man, everyone's cell phones are going off. I think we're going to have to like put that bulletin up, that slide up that said, turn off your cell phones like, or silence them before service. I like it, though, because it kind of shows us the different kinds of music we have on our cell phones. So, Like, Brian's over here. Like, we're jamming, you know. There we go. We're jamming. And I hope you like jamming, too. So, again, we get, we get so worried and anxious about all the stuff that, that doesn't matter. It hurts our relationship with God and with others. Um, I, I learned this this year, and it blew my mind, and I think other men might find this very odd. Men, did you know that women believe, this isn't for all women, but this is women in our culture today, that they believe that they can't wear the same dress twice? And there are women in this room that believe that. If they are seen at an event wearing this dress, like let's say it's their, their cousin's wedding, they wear this dress to the wedding, and then let's say uh, it's like Thanksgiving, and it's the same time of year, it's, but it's like a month later, like, well, I can't wear the same dress again, I just wore that at the wedding. And they convince themselves that if they wear it, it'll be a great embarrassment to them, and so then they, they still want to be trendy, and they still, but they don't like any of the dresses that they have, because they just have these two fall dresses, and so then they get so anxious about what to wear, because they don't have the right dress for this occasion, but they do have the right dress, they just don't feel like they can wear it again, because they've already worn it. Who told you that, right? Who, who, who convinced us? that this is vitally important to their life. We should spend so many waking hours being anxious about what to wear tomorrow or what to wear to this event that we can't just be excited about going and being a part of it. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I have about nine dress shirts that fit me right now, and I just cycle through them. That, that's the one I wear. Uh, the way that, uh, you know, Catherine does the laundry and she puts the, that's the shirt that I wear that day, the one that's on top. And some people will make fun of the way that I dress, but I literally don't care. I just, I just don't care because I don't care what people think about the way that I dress. I, I only care, I only wear nicer clothes so that I, you know, I don't create a stumbling block, right? I choose to wear the nicer clothes. Uh, you know, I, I, I wear almost the same thing at every wedding I officiate. It, it just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. Um, all that I really care about is that my wife thinks that I'm 
looking good that day. That's it. That's all I care about. And so I'll ask her, does this look good? She's like, no, right? <laughs> Go change. Those colors don't match. And so if you noticed, I am wearing fall colors. So, so is Gary, some of the other men. Uh, and it's because my wife bought me this shirt and she said, you should wear it this Sunday. So that's how I choose what clothes to wear. So yeah, I'm much more concerned about what we get uh, anxious about than if we get anxious or not. I'm much more concerned about what we get anxious about, not if we get anxious. If you have to have a really difficult conversation with someone about sin and their life, man, it's hard. You have to build up courage. You have to have that conversation. It's very difficult with intentionality and with gentleness. And you have to encourage them to cut the sin out of their life, but You know it's going to be a hard conversation, but you have to have it. If you spend hours getting ready because you're anxious about whether or not you look cute or good, or if anyone will say anything about how you're dressed, maybe you're worried about the wrong stuff. How much time will we waste worrying about what other people think about us? If my kid is having a meltdown in Walmart, which would never happen because my kids are perfect, I've literally had to like carry my kid like by their feet through the store. So, Um, but sometimes it makes us nervous. I remember when Catherine and I, when we first had Hosanna, it was like, well, we'll only go to the store when she's sleeping so that she's not. And and here's why I, when, when Catherine was, was away at, at a work conference and I had Hosanna by myself, she was probably about uh, nine, 10 months old. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm, was shopping for a new dress shirt and because I had destroyed all the ones I had. And I had Hosanna with me and she was crying and she wasn't taking her, her bottle and she didn't have a messy diaper, all the stuff that men, like we try to fix the problems. And what she really wanted was just to be loved and sang to. But I didn't understand that at the time because I was a new parent. And so I'm trying to figure it out. And this lady comes up and goes, oh, she misses her mommy. Where's her mommy? Right? And that's the stuff we get nervous about. Because like, how dare you? Right? Dads can do stuff too. You know, dads are good at this. Like, we have the equal responsibility. It's like, it's not, like, mommy's resting right now, okay? Like, whatever it was, it didn't matter. But that's, like, we don't want to take our kids in public because sometimes we're embarrassed by, you know, the fact that they'll embarrass us. Our kids have, have no filter. I remember we were standing in line somewhere, and Hosanna said way too loud. She goes, wow, that lady's pretty fat. It's like, you don't, I'm sorry, ma'am, you don't say that stuff, right? You, it's, it's hard. It's embarrassing to take your kids in public. We ask ourselves all, all, all types of, of questions, and, and we talk ourselves out of doing so many amazing things because we're worried or anxious about what's going to happen. Why do we let what people think about us keep us from living a life full of joy and peace? I don't know why. What if the person I invite to church decides they don't want to be my friend anymore? I think that's the reason why most of us don't invite people to the church or invite people to Jesus is because we're worried about their reaction. What if they know I go to church? What if they know that I'm invested in Jesus? And I love to see people that have brought their friends. That person's going to meet Jesus pretty soon. Um, 
But that's, that's the reason that we usually, most of us, that we don't ask people, that we don't ask people to church. We don't invite people to our events because we're worried about, there's the stigma around people that go to church. And, and if I invite them to church and then I do or say something stupid, then they're going to judge me and say that I'm a hypocrite. But we get so worried about what people will think about us that we forget our mission. So when in, in anxiety and worry become sin, when they keep us from doing what God has called us to. Again, anxiety and worry become sin when they keep us from doing what God has called us to. Or when they lead us to sin blatantly, right? If your anxiety or worry causes you to treat people poorly, it's a sin. When you become anxious or worried, how do you respond? Do you have a short temper? Do you take out your frustrations on whatever it is on those who you love who are near you? Or for me, do you eat too much food that you shouldn't eat? Do you drink or smoke because you can't handle it? How is it that we handle our anxieties and worries? That's what concerns God. We allow the things of this world to steal our joy that comes from God because they're so distracting we forget how much God loves us and gives us all that we need. So my encouragement is always do what's right today, even if it means tomorrow will be hard. Always do what's right today, even if it means tomorrow will be hard. And I love the serenity prayer, if anyone's ever been involved in like Celebrate Recovery Ministries, or, uh, but this is what it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It is the longevity of anxiety and worry that changes us for the worse. We have a loving, amazing, kind, perfect God that wants to listen to us and help us with whatever our worries are. So why do we continue to hold on to them? And really, we're the only ones that can answer that for ourselves. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is our longest recorded sermon that Jesus gives, and he preaches on worry and anxiety for a good 10 plus verses, and he caps it off by saying this in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, for Jesus, this isn't a sin issue. It's a peace and faith issue. But like I said at the beginning, if you want to change what you do, you have to change how you think and change what you believe because what you believe is what you will do. I'm going to call the worship team back up. So here's my question for, for y'all. I got a couple. Do you believe that Jesus is the king of the universe? And if you believe that Jesus is the king of the universe, do you believe that you are loved by this king and he has invited you into his family? Because if your dad, if your father in heaven owns everything and promises you that he cares about whether or not you have food, clothes, all that you need, why are you worried about whether or not you'll receive them? When you believe with your whole self that your father in heaven is in charge of everything, that he owns everything, he is everything, all of our worries and cares go away. What if you lose your job? Who cares? You'll get another one. Well, what if I lose all my money? Who cares? You can always make more money. What if people make fun of you? 
Who cares? People always make fun of other people. But your dad is the king of the universe. And I guarantee that my dad could beat up your dad. So, <laughs> Why do we let anyone make us feel less than what we are? You are a joint heir with Jesus. Deeply loved, called, chosen, and gifted. So who's in the driver's seat of your heart? If you choose to let the Holy Spirit drive, your worry and anxiety will never last. And when it comes, you can immediately give it to the Lord and never allow it to change you for the worse. So who's in the driver's seat of your heart? All right, let's pray. So Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a way out of our doubt, of our anxiety, of our worry, all the things that mold us and shape us to be something different than who you created us to be. So Father, help us to give everything to you. God, we ask that you would teach us your will but by showing us who you are. So God, help us to get to know you better. Help us to sing of you, to pray to you, and to bring more people to you. And all God's people said, amen. amen.